Father, just want to praise you and, and thank you for our time of worship. Um, Lord, I know for me, my soul needed it. And Lord, I pray that uh, for those of us in the room, Lord, it was just a time of being refreshed in who we are in Christ. Uh, we're so thankful, Lord, that we can gather here every Sunday to be encouraged in the gospel of Jesus Christ, to be encouraged in our relationships with one another. And Lord, I pray this morning as we uh, enter into a three-week sermon series um, about what this church is all about, I pray, Lord, that you would infuse all of us with a vision for what you've called this church to do here in Northern Virginia. But, but Lord, I, I'm not praying for a some unique vision or some vision that differentiates us from all the other churches. Lord, I, I pray for a biblical vision for this church. And as we jump into this this morning, Lord, I, I do pray that through your word that you would give us a vision for what it looks like to be a biblical church that has favor with the people of our town. And so, Lord, be with us as we read from your word. Teach us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, if you have not heard, um, in our culture today, we have a new rule. And it's very possible that this week you violated this rule. I know that I violated this rule this week. And in doing so, you have run the risk of being captured violating this rule on camera through someone's phone, that being uploaded to Facebook or some sort of social media, and you being shamed and ostracized by the whole nation. Because if caught violating this rule, your career could be in jeopardy. People simply could not afford to be associated with you. Do you know what new rule I'm referring to? It is no longer acceptable to use straws. <laughs> they are harmful to the environment, they do not decompose, and there is a huge island of plastic in the Pacific Ocean. And so, plastic straws are no longer allowed. You can use paper straws if you want, they don't last as long, but, but no more straws. This is why Starbucks, if you haven't known this, has now gone to the plastic sippy cup for their iced beverages instead of a straw. I don't know if you've realized that. Apparently, plastic sippy cups are better for the environment than plastic straws. <laughs> now, I'm pro caring for the environment, so if straws really pose a risk, that's fine. Let's, let's get rid of them. But it's so interesting to me how when these new rules in our culture emerge and gain some traction, they kind of sweep across the nation like an avalanche. It's like all of a sudden everyone is afraid of being the last on the bus and everyone judging them, and so everyone becomes an anti-straw advocate, right? Businesses race to be the first to ban straws from their establishment so they don't lose market share. Books and articles are now written. Societies and associations are built. I was, even, I was in Nags Head two weeks ago on vacation with my family, and we go to this little mom-and-pop restaurant every single time we go down there. Um, and uh, this small little restaurant, and they had signs about how we shouldn't use straws anymore. I was like, even this place. 
So if this is the first you're hearing about this, you need to get with the program. No more straws, all right? But it's interesting how trends have accelerated in our social media culture, right? How many of you make fun of uh, folks who buy jeans with holes already in them? They maybe pay more money, right? But how many of you who make fun of them have intentionally beat up furniture in your home, right? Or distressed furniture. That's me. I make fun of people who have holes in their jeans intentionally, but I've also been instructed by my wife to make a piece of furniture look older than it is. And so that trend, I think, is going to pass if it hasn't already, and one day we're all going to ask, why do we have intentionally beat up furniture in our homes? But why do we build a bunch of stuff with pallet wood, you know? But in our social media culture, trends are accelerated, and it can intensify our felt need to keep up and to fit in this culture. It can intensify the feeling that I don't measure up. People look down on me. I need to be better. So for you, maybe it's not environmental or interior design trends, but maybe it's the fear of what people think about your parenting style or the cleanliness of your house, or the kind of food that you buy, or the shape of your body, or how spiritual your prayers sound, or how much Bible knowledge you have. We, we live in a culture where we are trained to be consumed by what people think about us. And when everyone is consumed by what people think of them, then everyone is consumed with themselves. When I am consumed by what people think about me, that means I'm actually consumed with me. And I think our culture lives in this kind of perpetual state of low-grade stress and anxiety because we all fear what other people think about us. And I sincerely believe that one of the most strategic ways that our church can engage and reach the culture around us is by reclaiming and committing ourselves to be the kind of church that is modeled for us in the New Testament. Because the kind of church that is modeled to us in the New Testament contains a culture within that is antithetical to the culture out there. And I believe that this is strategic because the culture out there is exhausting and life-sucking. And I believe the kind of culture the church is called to is refreshing and life-giving. And so this morning, we're, we're going to begin a three-part series on the vision of Grace Hill Church. We want to be abundantly clear about the kind of church that we want to be, the kind of church that we envision, and how that will impact our ministry over the next year. We're a brand new church here in Herndon, less than a year old when it comes to our public services. And so we want to be clear about who we are. And so here's our vision. Our vision as Grace Hill Church is to be a church where all people can find joy in Jesus. That's the vision. We want to be a church where all people can find joy in Jesus. And we're going to take the next three weeks to kind of explain what we mean 
when we say that, we're going we're gonna to take each part of that vision and break it down. How does that practically impact how we are going to do ministry at Grace Hill Church? And so this morning, we're going to talk about the first part of that statement. Our vision is to be a church. We want to be a church. What do we mean when we say the word church? Why is that so significant to devote an entire week, an entire sermon on this topic of what does it mean when we say the word church? I mean, doesn't everyone, even non-Christians, know what a church is? I mean, we've taught on this significantly before, if you've been with us, and we're going to continue to teach on this very topic very regularly because I don't think it's a given I don't think it's a given that people really understand what the Bible means when it uses the word church. I think the kind of church that we see in the New Testament was way more radical than the kind of church we see today. And that's exactly why I think modeling our church after the New Testament example is strategic to reach our town. Because so much of the church today has assimilated into this exhausting culture in the name of being relevant. And I think what will actually make the church relevant is not assimilation, but rather offering a life-giving alternative to the culture. And so this morning, we're going to look at the scripture to see what it actually looks like to be a faithful, genuine, biblical church. And I'm Praying that God, through his word this morning, will give all of us a fresh vision for what it means to be a part of a church. When we say, I belong to Grace Hill Church, what does that mean? You know, does that mean I just attend on Sunday mornings? Does that mean I attend occasionally? Does that mean I serve? What does it mean when we say, I'm a part of a church? That's the goal. So we're going to read from Acts chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 37 to 47 for us, but let me kind of give you a little bit of context before we read. In this uh, uh, account that we have, the book of Acts, which is written by Luke, all right, this is the account of the early church after Jesus goes to the cross, is resurrected from the dead, and ascends to be with the Father. So in the beginning of Acts, what we have through chapter two is one of the first sermons, or probably the first sermon, preached by the apostle Peter, okay? And so Peter is preaching, and then in our passage this morning, it begins right when Peter is done preaching, and we see what happens after Peter's sermon, okay? So first sermon the church has ever heard, we pick it up in verse 37, what's the response? It says this, now when they, the church, heard this and all that were gathered there, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? It's a great response to a sermon. What shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. 
So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. So Peter preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. The people ask, what shall we do in response to this? Peter says, repent and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? This gospel is now available to all people. It's, it's available, it doesn't matter who you are, young, old, rich, poor, light, dark, Jew, Gentile, doesn't matter who you are, this gospel is available. Repent and be baptized. And at the preaching of the gospel in Jerusalem that day, 3,000 people got saved. 3,000 people say, I am surrendering my life to Jesus, entrusting him and him alone for my salvation. And so now the church in Jerusalem is a little over 3,000 people strong, this first church, right? It's a great first day. But in verses 42 to 47, where we'll really spend the bulk of our time this morning, we're going to get a snapshot of what this church was like day to day. This is the church in its purest form, and this is the example I want us as a church to learn from. So let's continue reading verses 42 to 47. It says, And they, so this new church, 3,000 plus people, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers, and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Immediately in this passage in verse 42, we get this summary type of statement about what this church was like. All right, so verse 42, they devoted themselves, and then it's going to give us four things that they were devoted to. And when you see that word devoted there, all right, the, the sense that the Greek is trying to bring out is this idea of persevering in something, it has the sense of continued perseverance and devotion, right? So immediately when I think of this word, I think about my fan status of the Washington Redskins. I've always been a fan of the Redskins. It is not fun to be a fan of the Redskins, right? Every year I have good reason to drop my devotion to the Redskins, but I'm a devoted fan. I have continued perseverance as I root for this team. And so the, the way it works is like, so you could be devoted today, but as soon as they inevitably lose games and go seven to nine or make personnel decisions like a preschooler would, you drop your devotion. You say, why would I follow this team, right? That's not continued perseverance. But that's not the kind of devotion that we read of here in Acts 2. This is the kind of devotion that perseveres even though you may have reason to drop your devotion. So we read in verse 42 that this church continually persevered in sitting under the apostles' teaching in fellowship 
in breaking bread and in prayer. And so I want to break those down. What does it mean to continually persevere in sitting under the apostles' teaching? Look at verse 43. It says, And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. One of the roles that the apostles played in the early church was communicating the word of God to the church. Because they did not have complete Bibles like we do today. They didn't have this nice Bible that was bound up and it was complete. And so the apostles had to communicate God's word. And they did that through writing it down. And thus we got them in our scriptures. Or by preaching a word from God. The Holy Spirit would inspire them and, and they would preach God's word. And one of the things God would do to help confirm that this word that they were preaching was actually from him was he would give them wonders and signs to perform that would confirm that, hey, this that I'm teaching is from God, right? It's not from my own brain. It's not something I made up. It's not a fairy tale. It is actually from the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. But the key component here is not that the church was devoted to the apostles. No, the church was devoted to the apostles' teaching, meaning they were devoted to the word of God. And so today, for, for any church to be a faithful church, they must continually persevere, even when it gets hard, in sitting under the teaching of the word of God. What this means is that when I or any other person preaches at this pulpit, this book needs to be open, not closed. What this means is that a faithful sermon is reading the text, explaining the text, applying the text, and then praying the text. Right? That's a faithful sermon, and this church must persevere in tolerating nothing less. God does not need to perform a miraculous sign to authenticate what I'm preaching because what I preach must be from this book. And we must preach the whole counsel of God's word, even the hard parts, even the parts that our culture gets up in arms about. We must not be a church that is consumed with what they think about us out there. Because the, the minute we're consumed about what they think about us, we become consumed with ourselves. We make people pleasing our foundation. We compromise our teaching. And now really all we are is a service-based nonprofit that's assimilated into the culture. That's what we become. A whole lot of formerly faithful churches have become that nowadays. And when you look at verse 43 again in Acts chapter 2 where it says, Awe came upon every soul because the apostles were teaching God's word. If we walk away, if we don't continually persevere in teaching God's word, then we give up the very thing that brings awe and joy to our souls. If we do not continually persevere in sitting under the whole counsel of the word of God, it's not that we cease being a faithful church, it's that we cease being a church. We will only be Grace Hill Church as long as this is preached. We cease to be a church if that ever stops. Secondly, in verse 42, 
we see that this church continually persevered in fellowship. Now, when we think of fellowship, we tend to think of, you know, our relationships that are centered around our faith. That's fellowship, and, and that, that's a good definition, but the word here for fellowship comes from the Greek word koinos, which means common. And we see this word used again in our text this morning. So if you look at verses 44, look at 44 and 45. It says, and all who believe were together and had all things in common. Same word that's used for fellowship up in verse 42. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And so what we see here is that the fellowship of this church was fueled by their commonality. They had all things in common. But at first glance, it probably didn't seem that way, right? This was a church of a little over 3,000 people. And I promise you, before they all got saved, they did not have all things in common. Actually, I love this because we learn earlier from Acts chapter 2 what this church looked like. And they were from all over the world. Look at this. Uh, Acts 2 verses 9 to 11. And it says this. These are the, the people, a part of this church, if I can pronounce all these words right. right? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia... Uh, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belong to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. That's just the, the makeup of this church in Acts 2. They hear the gospel, they give their lives to Jesus, 3,000 of them, and all of the sudden, they now have all things in common immediately. I mean, talk about racial reconciliation. I mean, what did they have in common? They're brothers and sisters in Christ. And the practical application of this kind of fellowship we see in verse 45. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. We read something similar. Jamie read from Acts 4 for us earlier. Acts 4.32, where it said, same church, now the full number of those who believe were of one heart and soul, all things in common. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Same word. See, I think today we judge a church if they have good fellowship or not based on what we receive. Is this a church that meets my needs? Is this a church where people reach out to me? Is this a church where I have friends? Is this a church with people who appreciate my kind of personality? Is this a church that will fit into my busy schedule? But see, the vision of fellowship that we get in Acts is a vision where everyone sees what they have. My money, my home, my property, my time, my gifts, my talents, my presence, my dinner table. Everyone sees what they have as something that they have to give to others. It's not a mindset that says, do these people meet my needs? It's a mindset that says, how can I meet their needs? What has God given me? What has he gifted me with? What has he entrusted to me? 
so that I can go fellowship with these people. That's the sense of this word. What do I have so I can go fellowship? Not what do they offer so we can have fellowship. It's a mindset that is Christ-like. I'm here to serve, not be served. I'm here to give my life to these people. I will persevere in this kind of fellowship continually. I'm committed to it. I mean, what is a community like when everyone has the mindset of what they can receive and everyone is consumed with what everyone thinks of them? It's, it's like the world where there's a lot of loneliness and judgment, a lot of self-consciousness and quiet anxiety about what people think. There's a lot of gossip and a lot of polarization and People are conflict averse and they can't handle any sort of disagreement. They can't handle, oh, would someone actually ever think something differently than me? It's kind of like what the world is like. It's just emotional immaturity, right? But what would a community be like where everyone's committed to giving of themselves and everything that they have so that everyone flourishes? Everyone has friends. Everyone has their needs, net, their needs met. A community where no one is consumed with themselves, but they love their neighbor as themselves. Right? That's true, life-giving, biblical fellowship. And it takes every one of us being devoted to this, continually persevering in this. That's what creates a sort of biblical fellowship that this world can never offer. And do you know how a community perseveres and maintains this kind of fellowship? Well, it's through continually persevering in their devotion to Jesus. If you look back to Acts chapter two, verse 42, it says they were also devoted to the breaking of bread and the prayers. When it says breaking bread, the text is referring to the Lord's Supper, where Jesus instructed his disciples to break bread and drink wine whenever the church met together as a way of remembering what Christ has done. And so when the church makes it a habit to break bread and pray, when they come together, they are reinforcing the very thing that they have in common, Jesus. Jesus is what brings us together. We all used to be dead in our sins, but now we are brothers and sisters because Christ has taken our sins to the cross. He has defeated the grave and he's welcomed us into his family forever. Breaking bread and praying centers our worship, our fellowship, and our teaching on the gospel of Jesus Christ. It reminds us that we do have all things in common. It reminds us that we do have a basis to love one another. It reminds us that our joy is not found in being served, but in serving and giving our lives as Jesus did for us. It's verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Regular feasting on the gospel of Jesus Christ produces glad and generous hearts. 
this church persevered in sitting under the word of God. They persevered in giving of themselves in fellowship. They persevered in being centered on Jesus. And what was the result? What was the fruit? Verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. It says that this church had favor with all the people. This is referring to all the people of the city, not the people of the church. They had favor with the people of the city of, the Jeru- of Jerusalem, the people who are not Christians in a part of this church. They had favor with them, and people were continually getting saved. The word favor here is charis, which is the word for grace. Um, these were gracious, gentle, kind, caring, selfless, charitable, generous people. That's how they treated each other in the church. That's how they treated people outside the church. What was it about this church's unwavering commitment to the word of God, their unwavering commitment to giving of themselves in fellowship, and their unwavering commitment to Jesus that gave them favor with all the people? You know, you can snuff out narcissism, whether it's personal or organizational from miles away. But a congregation that perseveres in what it believes, a congregation that perseveres in their love for one another, a congregation that perseveres in their love for Jesus, this is a congregation made of people who are truly not consumed with themselves. They are free of the bondage of what others think and they truly have found joy. And our culture craves this. They look to anything and everything for that thing. What is it that will get me off of myself and have contentment and joy in life? What is it? And this is why I believe modeling our church after this is not only faithful, but it's strategic because this is what our culture longs for. Not everyone's gonna agree that that is found in and through Christ, but I love what Acts chapter five, verse 13 says. Look at this. Just some fruit from this church. It says this, none of the rest, just talking about the people of the city, none of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. The culture was saying, I don't believe what you're preaching. I kind of think that's crazy, but man, I like those people. They're really kind people. They are really gracious people. Man, they are so slow to anger and frustration. They have so much patience. Man, those are, those are some unassuming people. Those are people that are fun to sit at a dinner table with and laugh. Those are people that I know if I knocked on their door with tears in my eyes because something just went down, that they are going to care for me. Those are some genuine people over there. I don't know about what they preach, but I'm sure glad they're my neighbor. I'm sure glad they meet in that school across the street. I'm sure glad they're here in our town. They didn't have favor because they catered their beliefs to what the world believes. 
They had favor because they were selfless, genuine people. And I believe that our commitment to persevere in these things here at Grace Hill Church will produce that character within us individually, personally, and this kind of witness and favor in our community. This is exactly why we do membership here at Grace Hill Church. And I know some people find church membership as exclusive and not welcoming, and there maybe is a better word for it, but we do church membership because we want the people who call Grace Hill their church home to be committed together to persevere in these things. And so when you become a member of Grace Hill, you're making a promise, a covenant. You're saying, I promise to persevere along with all of you in sitting under the word of God and not wavering from it. I promise along with all of you to persevere with all of you in giving of all that I have to love and care for you knowing that you are doing the same for me. I promise to persevere along with all of you in making Jesus the center of my life and the center of this church. And no matter how much persecution comes from the culture, I promise to persevere. When our church goes through great times, In really hard times, I promise to persevere. When I have a conflict with someone in the church, I I promise to persevere. When I'm struggling with doubt and major questions about God's word, I promise to persevere. Because this isn't about me. This is about Jesus and our witness of him in this world. That's what church membership is about. The church is is not an organization that provides a good or service for us to consume on our terms. The church is a community of Christians who have committed themselves to one another for the purpose of God's mission in the world. And so when we say that our vision is to be a church where all people can find joy in Jesus, that word church is a loaded word. There's a lot that we're trying to say when we say we want to be a church. And if you call Grace Hill your church home and have not become a member, I want to invite you to do that, to become a member. We, we have a class that we do that helps teach you all what we mean by that and everything about our church. Most of that class is online. We put it on video so you could watch and digest that in your own time. And then we bring everyone together who's in the online class so we can talk through it and answer any questions that you have. And so if you're interested in that, you can uh, sign up for that class. You can do it on our website. The uh, link is there in your bulletin. But we want to link arms with you and persevere in these things. That's why we do church membership. And if you're here and you're new to Grace Hill or you've been here for a little bit and you're just not sure yet if you want to become a member, that's, that's fine, right? We're glad that you're here and we hope one day you will want to become a member But I just want you to know we're glad that you're here too. But Grace Hill, let's be the kind of church that the scriptures call us to be. Let's be a church that is antithetical to the self-consumed culture around us. Let us lay down our rights in humble submission under the scriptures and out of love for God and for our Savior. We will not be a place where all people can find joy in Jesus if we are not a true and faithful church. And so to that, I want to end our time 
I feel like I've gone way long looking at the time. Uh, and to that, I want to end our time by, by breaking bread together. Uh, on the table in front of me, we have uh, bread. It's gluten-free bread and, uh, and juice. And the bread represents the broken body of Christ, which came to serve you and not be served. Christ who came to give his life as a ransom so that we wouldn't have to face the judgment of God. When the bread breaks, it's what we think of, the broken body of Christ. And then we have the juice in the cup that represents his blood. His blood that has cleansed us from all of our sins so we stand before God accepted and righteous and delighted in. This table represents what we have in common. Our Lord and our Savior, Jesus, this is what unites us. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, I invite you, after I pray, come forward, take some bread, take some juice, go back to your seat and celebrate the gospel of Jesus Christ. Celebrate what Christ has done for you. Eat the bread, drink the juice when you want, but celebrate Christ. But if you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, I'm gonna ask you not to come forward and this is just because this is a really sacred moment of worship for us who really do believe in Jesus. But let me say to you what Peter said to all of those people that day where 3,000 people were saved. If you're not a follower of Jesus, repent and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. There is forgiveness freely available to you. There is joy freely available to you. And there is a family of brothers and sisters in Christ who are ready to welcome you and love you as one of our own. And if you want to surrender your life to Jesus today, I just come forward, find me. I'll be sitting in one of these chairs. I'd love to pray with you right there in that moment. And so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna pray now for us and when I'm done praying, if you want, you can come forward, take of the bread and the juice and we'll end our time in some singing. Let's pray together. Father, this morning as we just prepare our hearts to worship you through taking of the bread and taking of the juice, Lord, I pray, Father, that you would Fill our hearts with faith in the cross of Jesus Christ. We do this, Lord, to remember what you did on the cross. To forgive us of our sins, to make us righteous, to bring us into your family. And so, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would just fill people up with faith in the gospel. Lord, I pray if there's anyone in here who does not know you, that, Lord, you would soften their heart now that, Lord, they would be filled with new faith in the cross of Jesus Christ and they would surrender their whole life to you. Would you make that happen? And, and Father, I pray for our church as we do ministry in this town and, Lord, help us to be a faithful church that is committed to your word, that is committed to sacrificially loving one another and is always centered on you, Jesus. We love you, Lord, and we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.